Open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going through verses 1 through 11 uh, this morning. And uh, typically what I do is go over uh, kind of a recap of what we did the week before, but we don't have enough time. We are going to jam through this. And so I want to kind of set your expectations up for this morning. We're going to go through a lot of scripture. So if you don't like, uh, if it like bores you or whatever, I totally apologize. I will try not to make it dry, uh, but... There's a lot of scripture on temptation. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, is that cool? Look at that. Temptation. I tried to make it kind of, I tried to find some smoke in the background, but they didn't have any. So what I'm going to do first, before we actually get into our text of Matthew chapter 4, I want to give us a little bit of framework about temptation, some verses, some things to look out for, and then talk about how Jesus handled temptation. And that's what we see in in, uh, Matthew chapter 4. The first thing we need to understand is that it is vital for for a Christian, for a human being as well, (laughs) because it ultimately leads to our relationship with Jesus. It's vital to learn how to win in our fight against temptation. We have an enemy who is active, He is uh, interested in tempting. Now, it might not be Satan himself personally. He might be onto bigger and better fish, if you will. But he's got a system in place that works very, very well. And I want us to see that it's vital that we learn how to win in this fight against temptation. It's also vital that we learn to take it seriously. I have uh, some Legos in my pocket. Um, that I carry around with me wherever I... No, I'm kidding. I don't carry them around with me. But if you go into my office, you'll see these Legos where there should be books. I have toys. Um, And what they do is they remind me of temptation. And so for those of you young married couples that I've I've, uh, counseled, you'll see this analogy, and I think I've mentioned it before here. But let's say that this edge here is having an affair. That's the edge. That's death. That's the, that's the ultimate sin in my marriage. And if I set up a roadblock and say, I'm not going to have an affair. Right? There it is. I've set up a roadblock. I'm passionate about it. I don't want to have an affair. If I allow all this stuff in my life, up until this point, there's a really good chance I'm going to topple this over and off I go. Okay. now, if I set up another one here and I say, well, I not only don't want to have an affair, I don't really want to even have a meaningful relationship with another woman. Okay. now, again, I'm I'm weird when it comes to this stuff. I'm overly sensitive about it. I I realize that. But let's say that's my thing. And then I say, well, now I'm going to go one step further back and one step further back. Until I get to the point where it's like, I won't even speak to a woman on the phone or anything, right? That would be the, you know, it's like, Pastor John, get dark. You know, right? That's not, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm talking about and what I'm going to talk about this week is us understanding the gravity of temptation. So that when we set our, 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 our standards back here and I make a mistake... Okay, I go, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. That was, But look how far away I am. I don't know if you guys can see that. There we go. Uh, but look how far away I am. Because what happens is, so everyone can see, okay? When we knock one of these down and we don't pick it back up again, let's say we start here, you know, we knock this down. And we don't pick it back up again. As we go towards the next one, we gain momentum. Then we knock this one down. We come back here. Now we've got a lot of momentum to this one. So say we hit this one at about 10 miles an hour, this one at 30, this one at 50. By the time we get to where we want to stop, we're going like 90 miles an hour. And what I want us to see is to get a vision for whatever it is that the Lord gets, whatever it is Satan gets you in. Because we all know what it is, what our weaknesses are, whatever. To get a vision for your life for that. That's what I want us to understand. If you look up here, you'll see James uh, chapter one. I'll put these away now. Someone can build something. As a matter of fact, if you guys want to play with those during the thing, go right ahead. Make me something nice. Okay. 
James chapter 1. This gives us a really good idea of, of what I'm talking about. Yeah, thanks. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. That Greek word trial there is temptation. It's the exact same word. It's translated sometimes trial and sometimes temptation for different reasons, and I'll explain why later. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, this is not salvation, church. He's writing to Christians, okay? People who are already saved. So he's not saying if you, if you don't succumb to temptation, you'll make it to heaven. No, these are Christians already. You'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But listen to this. This is very important. Give me back my things. Sorry, you messed them all up. That's good. Okay, thanks. That's cool. It's like steps. If you're taking... No, I'm kidding. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> listen, to the, listen to the progression, okay? Because here, here they are. They're right here again. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> but each one, when he is tempted, he is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. We need to understand that temptation, I'm going to keep these because you're just distracted. Temptation, if it's not under control back here, it will lead to death. And so we have to understand we have these two great things that James talks about. One is this crown of life that God has, this freedom from addiction, this freedom from the way the world would have us live, a relationship in God that's rich and real or death. And, and, and when we get back here, sometimes we don't take this as seriously because, well, we're many steps away. We're also many steps away from that crown of life. So I want us to get that picture. Uh, Jesus describes this picture in Luke when he talks about the seed. The word of God gets scattered all around and it lands on rocks and um, uh, a path and some thorns. And the path, the birds take it away. That's the enemy coming and just snatching it away. Some of you here, maybe uh, the Lord will be speaking to you and go, I need to turn my life around. I need Jesus in my life. And the enemy goes, are you crazy, dude? Your friends are going to think you're whacked. Oh, yeah, that's you were someone on the path. You thought, man, the the Holy Spirit was tugging at you. The enemy snatched it away. The second thing is the rocks. These are people who receive the word with joy, but they have no root. And so what happens? Temptations come and they fall away. They can't handle the temptation. Thorns. Thorns actually grow up. They hear the word and they they have it. I mean, uh, the the what goes in in the thorns that the word actually goes in and it grows up. But then the thorns, the worries and the cares of life choke it, not so that it dies, but so that it doesn't mature. And then finally, this is the vision I want us to see. I don't, I'm not saying let's set our, our boundary here because a good Christian doesn't do anything wrong. No, this is what we're looking for. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Another place in the word says 30, 60, 100 fold. That's a productive life. As the enemy tempts us, as our flesh gets involved, right? We have a choice, either life or death. Not salvation and eternal damnation, life or death. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. First Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation. You guys all know this. No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. There is always a way of escape. Always, always, always. There's always a way of escape. No matter what your temptation is, no matter how long you've been dealing with the sin or I've been dealing with my sin, there's always a way out. So what I want us to do very quickly is just see these these three things. I've talked about this before, um, but we might not have remembered. Uh, In 1 John chapter 2, 
I want us to see kind of three ways that our flesh and the enemy uh, can get to us. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, that's one, our cravings, right? The lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he does comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is where Eve had her problems. Satan came to Eve and said, hey, what, what do you think? Again, planting seeds of doubt. Did God really say this? And so when Eve sins in Genesis chapter 3, she sees, one, that the fruit of the tree was good for food. That's the cravings of sinful man. That it was pleasing to the eye. That's the lust of the eyes. And that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the uh, boastful pride of life. It says in New American Standard, but boasting of what he has and does. Satan and your flesh work in tandem to get you closer to death rather than closer to life. So what do we do? Well, we look at Jesus. That's what we're going to do this morning. We look at Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been to the gym, but um, I went uh, to the gym with Tim Ellis. I decided I was going to try and start working out again. I don't know if you ever worked out with Tim Ellis. I would suggest that you do not do that. Uh, It was like two months ago, and I'm still sore from that. Like in this area of my body, okay? So he's crazy. But one of the things he says that I think we can apply to this idea of temptation is, he says, I go to the gym and I look at who I want to be like and then do their exercises. So if like all the out of shape people are on the treadmill, no treadmill, right? <laughs> if all the really in shape people are working out with weights and doing all this stuff, that's what I want to do. That's what I want us to understand. We look at Jesus. He did it. He's got ripped spiritual abs, if you will. Okay. <laughs> He's strong like bull. Okay. We look, we look at Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. That's it. Let me show you in Hebrews chapter 2. Now, again, here's where we're going to get into a lot of scripture. I, you guys got to pay attention because this stuff is vitally important. You all right? Okay. Here we go. I think I had too much caffeine this morning. I'm not sure. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, verses 18 through 3, 1. Now, listen. For this reason... He had to be made like his brothers in every way in order. This is talking about Jesus in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he may uh, might make atonement for the sins of the people. Pay attention. No, where are we? Is that right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. Verse seven. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Okay. The apostle and high priest who we confess. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now listen, I want us to understand this because we're going to read another section of scripture that we tend to read incorrectly. Jesus went through every sin we're going through and he understands. And I want you to get the idea of how he understands. He doesn't understand Us just going back and going, yeah, I blew it again, Jesus. You know how it is. You were once like me. You understand the weaknesses, right? I mean, you you, kind of got it. It's like me going to the gym to the personal trainer with like a gut out to here going, you know what it's like with those chips. And he's like totally ripped going, well, yeah, but here's what you have to do to get, get over that. See, it's not that Jesus understands and says, yeah, it's just hard, man. Go for it. No, he says, look, I know it's hard and I know exactly what to do to get you out of that situation. If you look at Hebrews 4, it starts out in uh, verse 14. I don't have 14 up there, I don't think. But it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. Profess. Okay, we want to hold firmly to this. In other words, we believe it. We know it. It's part of us. We want to hold firmly. Now listen to what it goes on after this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Now listen. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is not after we sin. Yes, we do have the ability to go before God. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But listen. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
of holding fast to that faith that we, uh, holding firm to that uh, faith we profess. See, we should be able to, when we get into temptation, run to the throne of grace and go, oh man, Lord, I don't know why I'm dealing with this sin. It is embarrassing. It's ridiculous. I don't know why these thoughts keep coming to me. And he has grace and mercy to say, I know. I was there. Not, so don't worry about it. No, I know. I was there. Let me tell you what you need to do. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why we focus on Jesus. It's because he was there. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So let's turn and see what happened. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will, not, uh, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. <laughs> Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I want to talk about three things Jesus does to overcome temptation. Some of them are quite obvious um, and uh, others might not be. But um, the first thing, the very first thing we see is in verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, that is weird. <laughs> I would think, me personally, that God wouldn't lead me anywhere where I'd be tempted because he, want, he wants me to overcome sin. I would think that once I became a Christian, God would lead me to the places that I would not be tempted so that I could live a life in a bubble and just not do any sin. But it says here specifically that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. In John, it says he was led all around the desert. So it wasn't just like they kind of threw him into the desert and said, go have at it, we'll see you in 40 days. He was led all through. There was a process of relationship that was happening during all these 40 days. The Spirit was leading Jesus throughout each day. And that's our first thing. Be in tune and led by the Spirit. That's how we overcome temptation. See, what happens is if we're not led by the spirit and we find ourselves in temptation, we go, what in the world happened? How did I end up here? You know, you hear that all the time. I don't know how that how we had this relationship. It just happened. It didn't just happen. Right. I don't, I don't know. He, we were going to get married, whatever. It's that you weren't led by the Spirit. When I find myself in a spot a lot of times where I go, how did this happen? The Holy Spirit's going, woohoo, over here, you know? And I go, oh man, okay. And I get back with the Spirit. If I'm with the Spirit, if I'm led by the Spirit, temptation's going to happen. But when we succeed, it was a trial. This is why that word is used interchangeably. When it has to do with God, he allows us to go through these temptations. He doesn't tempt us, which means enticing us to do evil. evil. He, he, he lets us go through a trial and we either fail or we succeed. And when we're led by the spirit, we have access to the spirit. So let me look at this. If we are not led by the spirit, you will be led by your flesh. Our flesh is extremely powerful. Extremely powerful, led, just left on its own. It will always lead to, to sin. One of the greatest lies that the enemy gives us is that, you know what? I'm do, I'll be fine by myself. I'm doing okay. I haven't killed anybody. I'm a relatively good person. It's a lie. It's not true. Romans eight fourteen says, for all uh, who are being led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. 
well, how do I know if I'm being led by the Spirit? Like, what does that mean? It sounds really, like, kind of mystical. I want to be led by the Spirit. Well, the first thing we need to do is look at our fruit. That's, we can automatically take a, a, it's a good test to see where we are now. And it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's again, a lot of scripture up there, but don't worry about it. You begin to ask yourself, am I being led by the Spirit? The fruit of being led by the Spirit is really what that should say, is love. How's my love, o meter? <laughs> how, how, where am I in my love? Ah, oh, pretty good. Okay. Joy. I'm not very joyful. In what? What aren't you joyful? Well, my job. Maybe you're not being led by the Spirit in that. That would be a good place to, to begin to look. Peace. I'm all freaked out about my future. That's not from the Spirit. That's not being led by the Spirit. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is there an area in my life where I lack self-control? Maybe with what I say? Then my speech is not being led by the Spirit. And so the first thing we need to do is look at our lives and go kind of take an inventory of, man, it doesn't look like there's anything I'm being led by the Spirit. That's fine. We're going to st- we're going to talk about this a little later, but we'll just start now where we are. Now, look what it says. It goes on and it says those who belong to Christ. Now, listen, this is the fruit of the Spirit and watch what it's directly related to. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit is directly related to sin. Okay? Since we live by the Spirit, I love this word picture, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You ever seen those, uh, you know, in military? They, you can, like, watch their legs, and it's all perfectly in line, and they stop at the right time and twirl their guns and all that kind of stuff. Right? They're in perfect step. That's how we are with the Spirit. The Spirit says, stop. We stop. He says, go. We don't rush on ahead and we don't lag behind. We're in step with the Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, we know how to do that. (laughs) I don't even need to go in. I'll save it for another sermon. But you know how to be led by the Spirit. You know how to get into the Word. You know how to listen to His voice. And if you don't, ask me. Well, I'll be happy to meet with you. But here are some hints. Pray without ceasing. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Jesus said to the disciples, keep watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. In other words, keep your eyes open. Look around. We'll get to this a little bit more. Find out if it's fight or flight. This is how you deal with temptation with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has you stand and fight. That's why we talked about the armor of God. And in those evil days, you'll be able to do what? To stand. Other times we take off. Now, we're going to read a verse again that we read in the beginning. And listen to this in a different light now. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, listen to this. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, wait a second. To me, a way out, or in the New American Standard, a way of escape, means it's gone. I leave it. So here I'm being tempted, and the Lord says, I know a way you'll never be tempted on this again. Really? What is it? Cool. I'll do that. But that's not what it says. It says that you'll get... Provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Sometimes the Lord has you in a position in your life with a certain someone that maybe you can't get rid of in your life, like your kids, right? And he said, and you're tempted to kill them. And so all of a sudden the Lord says, ship them to Siberia. And you say, that's my way out. That's my way of escape. And the Lord says, that wasn't me. I want you to stand up under it. I want you to see what it's doing to you and begin to really get strengthened in this. Sometimes the way of escape is to stand and God will show you how. Jesus didn't all of a sudden when the enemy came, he didn't just run from the devil. It was like, I'm not going to listen to you. He stood his ground and he and he was strengthened by it. He had to remember Matthew. We talked about Matthew was presenting him as king. Who's the ruler of this world? 
Satan. The only way that Satan can be defeated from his throne is to be defeated by another king. And so in here we see Jesus establishing his kingship by defeating the ruler of this world. Okay, and so it's important for us to understand that. So sometimes we stand. Sometimes we say, all right, this is the marriage I have. I'm going to stick with it. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand in this. This is the job I have. And the Lord wants me here. This is what I have to do. This is the family I have. Other times, it's okay to be a spiritual sissy. You can be a spiritual sissy. Me personally, I don't like to fight. Well, I'm sorry. I don't like to get hit. Uh, And since I don't know how to fight, there's a really good chance that I will be hit often uh, in my face area, which I don't like. I'm a sissy. If if a guy comes up to me and says, what are you looking at? I say, I'm an idiot. Here's all my money. See you later. Okay. That's just me. Okay. And what do we, what do we say about a a guy who admits that? Well, we say he's a sissy. You know, you got to be able to pick, you know, fight, right? No. Okay. The scripture allows us to be spiritual sissies. And a lot of times in temptation, we don't have to stand. Look at all these verses we have here. Oh, I actually put up there. Be a spiritual sissy. I like that. (laughs) Flee immorality. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Flee from youthful lusts. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is leading us Get out of there now. Run. Sometimes being led by the Spirit is hightailing it out of there. Sometimes it means no more cable for you. No more trips to Vegas. No more hanging around that friend anymore. No more of those dates with that person. The Spirit's saying, run, I'm running this way. Stay in step with me. Now, I just picked some of them. I don't know. I I make a horrible Holy Spirit. So I'm assuming that the Holy Spirit is getting you on whatever it is you need to go. Yeah, you know what? I need to do that. Maybe it's cut off uh, Internet access. I don't I don't know what it is. Walk to work instead of drive. That would be mine. Okay, so I don't know. But we have to be ready to be a spiritual sissy, in tune and led by the Spirit. The second thing is accurate application of the word. We see from Jesus, man, he's good with the word of God. Now, we're fortunate because uh, Jesus had the Old Testament to draw from. And now, through the Holy Spirit, we have the Old and New Testament. So we actually have more scripture than Jesus had. And a lot of it's more uh, directly related to our lives. So we're in pretty good shape. Uh, But we've talked about this before. From the beginning of time, Satan has been trying to discredit the word of God. He did it to Eve in the garden. He said, did God really say? He starts out with Jesus. If you're the son of God, always those seeds of doubt. Always those things. Well, you know what? Should we just have the word? Because I was reading in this book that really I can find the strength inside myself. I believe the children are the future. Teach. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. It's all we need. The word of God. Now, do we just say, oh, I'm not going to read anything else? No, no. God's opened up, given us a great creative mind to be able to read the word and apply it in many different ways. But my first point is know as much as you can. Know as much as you can about the word of God. We'll see why in a second. Knowing it doesn't help us as much, but we can't do it unless we know it. So the first thing is to know it. Now you kind of know what my second one is. Look at Jesus. Every single time, a different situation, Jesus uses a different section of scripture. And we're going to go over the first one very briefly of how brilliant Jesus was when he used the word of God. It's awesome, awesome stuff. It'll blow your mind. Uh, Very good. But my point is, know as much as you can. The second thing is, knowing it doesn't do you any good unless you personalize it. Okay? I can know every... I mean, listen. How many spiritual leaders have we seen fall to immorality? I mean, hundreds. We read about them in the paper all the time. You think they didn't know? Right? They've probably preached 10 sermons on whatever sin it was. They know... 
But for some reason, it wasn't personalized. For some reason, it wasn't radical to them. They weren't like, yeah, this is it. This is what I want to do. Sometimes it's more dangerous to know. Because we can, we can navigate our way around the word and pick up pieces here and there to kind of give us, oh, it's okay. You know, I, I don't know. I don't want to come up with any examples because I, I keep coming up with the same ones. But, you know, whatever, whatever the sin is, we can find enough scripture where, it, oh, yeah, well, you know, Jesus partied with some partiers. Uh, whatever, whatever it is. Personalize it as best you can. Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. We know this. Probably all of us can, can, um, can quote it, but I want us to see it in a little different light. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay? Now, again, in Hebrews, the word wasn't created yet. <laughs> okay? it wasn't, they didn't have the Bible when Hebrews was written. But through the Holy Spirit, we can apply what we have now from God to this right here. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even, even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now listen, understand this. Unfortunately, the church today takes this verse and we says, I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to judge it and I'm going to rightly divide it and I'm going to go after it. I'm from soul and spirit, joints and marrow, I'm going to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's not what it says. The idea is that we pick up the word of God and we personalize it and we go, oh, that one hurt. <laughs> yes, Lord, that is exactly right. You got me. Reading along. Oh, man, don't do this. Well, I know so-and-so that then, ah, oh, okay, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> we allow the word to, to, to rightly divide us. Now, watch how it continues. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. In other words, you better personalize it because he knows about it anyway. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We have to personalize it. We don't have a choice. And so Jesus, if he just knew the word and he quoted it, the biggest part of this whole thing with Jesus is the stuff it doesn't say. So it says, you know, turn the, turn the rocks into bread. And he says, ah, you know, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's supposed to say right after there, and so Jesus didn't turn the rocks into bread. <laughs> okay, it doesn't say that. We assume that he did not. All right. And so the thing is, Jesus knew the word, but then he obeyed the word right after that. Psalm 119, 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Remember, we were talking about worship and we said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And for the Hebrew, the heart is the core of your identity. That's who you are. So what's happening then, what, what, this, uh, what the psalmist is saying is, I have hidden your word in the core of my identity. I've made it who I am so that I might not sin against you. I've taken your word. I've applied it to my life. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's piercing. It's got me. It's got a hold of me. This is how I'm going to live. That's personalizing the word of God. That's taking temptation seriously of taking this, this going way back here and going, man, how am I going to deal with this, this little uh, wall so I don't knock that one over? Forget this one. I want to be far away from that. How can I take it seriously? The third thing here is do as much as you can to obey whatever it takes. Do it. I'm not, listen, you know, I've been in the church for a long time. I've heard every sermon you can possibly hear. I've probably preached every sermon. It comes back to the same thing. Pray, read your Bible and don't sin. Right. OK. There, I'm done. Let's pray. Uh, no, but we have to be reminded again and again and again and again. To begin to look at our, this temptation as serious business. Not because we want to be holier than now, but because if we don't, it's death to us. Do as much as you can. We all know this one. James one twenty one. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you. Again, we get this idea that we, we, we want to... Um, the word I've hidden in my heart. It's the core of my identity. Humbly... Uh, um, except the word planted in you, which can save you. 
Again, he's talking to Christians. This isn't eternal salvation. This is salvation from a life of spiritual misery. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Haven't you ever heard the word of God, a sermon? You're just like, yes, Lord. Oh, yes. It's so, and you think that's going to be enough. It's not. You deceive yourselves. It says, do what it says. And then in verse 25, it goes on and says, why? Why do you do what it says? Well, here, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. There's a crown of life. There's purpose and meaning and richness in life as we aren't stuck with these chains. So let's look how Jesus used the word of God. This is very cool. What Jesus does when Satan asks him to turn the uh, rocks into bread is he quotes a section of scripture, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. But I want us to see how this section of scripture really applies to Jesus where he's at right now. Okay, get, get this concept. This is the whole section of scripture, or at least, you know, a lot of it, surrounding the verse that Jesus quotes. And he says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised uh, on oath to your forefathers. This could be a verse directly to Jesus in the desert. God, the father saying to the son, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. Because Satan's coming to tempt you. Because there's an inheritance that I've promised to your forefathers. If you look down the Davidic line and you're it, dude. Jesus knew he was it. This is it. This is the Messiah. So you can imagine Jesus throughout those 40 days going over this scripture, going, I got to be careful to do every command that's been given to me today. In verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way uh, in the desert these 40 years. They're talking about the Israelites, but Jesus could easily have said these 40 days in the desert. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. It was vitally important that Jesus kept these commands for all of us, for eternity. And you can imagine Jesus just going over this scripture again and again with the Father for these 40 days. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Jesus was fasting at this time. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus not only quoted a scripture to combat Satan, but he was in a section of scripture that was probably ministering to him through those 40 40, uh, days in the desert. He knew the scriptures very well. We also know he knew the scriptures very well because when he, right from here, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he went and he started teaching in the synagogues. And he starts teaching out of Isaiah. And he says, he, he teaches and he says, today this was fulfilled right in your presence. He knows scripture. Now, did he have a Bible with him? <laughs> no, he didn't. He'd memorized it. He'd applied it. He'd studied it. Accurate uh, um, application of the word. Thirdly, radical commitment to holiness. A radical commitment to holiness. Church, if we, let me tell you, I, I read all these church growth books and or at least hear about them being read and uh, <clears throat> and read summaries of them being read. But uh, you know what grows the church? is God's people doing what they were called to do, living holy lives, loving God and loving people. That's what grows a church. It's sin, it's temptation that begins to come in and, and fester like a cancer. And so... I would say as a church, as Living Spring, as me, as you, all of us together, we need to have a radical commitment to holiness. Now, I'm not saying do what I do in everything in my life where I make up these weird rules and all that kind of stuff. I'm bizarre. Okay, I know that. There are other sections in my life where I don't set up rules and I end up getting in trouble. Okay, so I just want to let us know. But for me, I want to have a radical commitment to holiness. I wrote in my blog this week because I've been really studying and focusing on this particular section of, of the scriptures. I, I coach a U14 girls soccer team that my daughters are on. And um, many of you know, and we joke about it all the time, I'm a little bit overly competitive, okay? 
So, okay. So we know that. But I love to strategize and look at the other teams and find out their weaknesses. And I walk on the field and I make little notes and I look at the strengths of my team and I look at the weaknesses and I see how they match up and I review notes from during the game the week before and I see where girls didn't work. It's disgusting. I realize that. Okay. All right. I know that. I know that. The girls don't know I do this. I tell them, hey, we're just here to have fun. I give them all the lies that everybody gives them the whole time. It's just for fun. Winning doesn't matter, right? Hey, I'm Pastor John. But when I get home and the lights are low and I'm scribbling things all over, right? It's weird. And I, I, what's been haunting me this week is what if I was this radical about my sin? If I, if I began to look and I said, okay, well, I've got, I've got this weakness and Satan can, I've seen him do this over here and I've seen him do that. And I watched this person fall because of it. So how can I shore up this and what can I do? Okay, here's a strength. Can I use a strength to defend this? How can I attack? How can I go on the attack? Right? What if I took the same passion of U14 girl soccer, which means nothing in life. I took that passion. And I applied it to my sin life. I applied it to my temptation. I came up with a plan. Because we all know our strengths and weaknesses. I'll I'll give you a quick example. I didn't know if I was going to do this or not, but I I, want to do this. Um, A friend uh, of mine and I are in, uh, have accountability. And so there was one area of life that we wanted to really get radical commitment on. And so... We said, well, how are we going to do this? Well, one of the strengths we both had is that we always tell the truth with each other. Now, that's, that's a key part of accountability, just so you know. That's a little secret, okay? If you're going to be held accountable, you have to tell the truth, okay? So, so, um, and so we said, okay, if that's our strength, let's use it to combat our weakness. So we said, here's the deal. Integrity on the line, we're going to say every time we do this, and it's going to cost us a certain amount of cash. Because that was my other strength. I love to hang on to my money. Okay, if you want to call it a strength or not, I don't know. But it worked tremendously well. Now, do I wish I didn't struggle with any sin and that I could... Just go, it's because I love the Father so much, I will not. Yes, I wish I could be that way, but I'm not. And so I had to come up with a plan. Something that would take the strengths and shore up this weakness so that I could defend against the enemy. And it works pretty well. And so this whole week, it's been bugging me because I'm like, well, what's going to be the next thing? What's the next area in my life that needs to be dealt with? That I need to come up with a plan. So um, I, I want us to see here that Paul understood this. When he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. Paul understood that it was a, it was a battle. Not a, not a battle like, oh, being a Christian is such a, oh, it's a struggle every day. No, it's exciting. It's a fight. It's a game like from win and lose and death and life. It's awesome. It's what we were created to do to glorify God. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Paul actually fought. He understood this. The first thing we do is we accept God's circumstances that he's given us. I have to the the team I have the U14 team I have is the team that was given to me by the region. I didn't have a choice. Now, I can spend all season fantasizing about what if I had Julia? (laughs) She knows how to move the ball. She can dribble with her eyes closed. Or I can say, this is what I got. Church, we have to start right now where we're seated or standing right now. What do you have? This is it. Now, you might have brought yourself here. You might be in... You know, $50,000 debt because you had to have the jet ski and the boat and that was your own mistake. Whatever. Who cares? Let's start right now. Don't think about what it would be like if you didn't marry her or what it would be like if you didn't have kids or what it would be like if your boss was someone else. Right now, this is what we start with. 
See, this was James and John's problem. This is where they they sin. They go and their mom comes up to Jesus and says, hey, um, can I ask you a favor? And Jesus says to James and John, dude, you got your mom to talk to me? No, he didn't say that. Uh, But I would have. I would have been like, dude, does mommy have to take, you know. Uh, So James and James and John's mother comes up to him and says, you know, can I ask you a favor? And Jesus says, yeah, go, go for it. And she says, well, when you enter your kingdom, I'd like James and John to sit on your right and your left. And Jesus says, are you, he says now to them, you know, oh, okay, thanks. And he looks at him and he says, are you able to drink this cup that I'm going to drink? Oh, yes, we are. Oh, yeah. And he says, no, you're not, but you will anyway. Now, I want us to understand something. What James and John wanted was to enter God's kingdom and to be on his right hand. They were looking to the future for something great. And they missed the fact that they were spending every day with Jesus. (laughs) I mean, with God incarnate, they got to spend every single day, all day with him. And they were already on to the next thing. I want us to get a vision for where we are now in our lives. Where we are with Jesus now. Yes, there's a vision of something greater and we, and we want to go for that. But to be able to experience Jesus now at the job you have with the kids you have and I have and the uh, um, uh, government I have and the house I have and all this stuff. What am I doing now? Well, who's, what's the team I have right now in order to win this battle? Accept God's circumstances for you. See, Jesus was in some pretty lame circumstances. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was in the desert, this place that uh, one theologian uh, uh, calls devastation. It was hot, scorpions. The scriptures say there was wild beasts. It's just a terrible area. His circumstances were lame. And yet he had to just deal. Second thing, be convinced that God will provide Be convinced that God will provide. So here you are. Here I am right now. So I have got a choice. I can either follow him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Or I can just wring my hands and try and figure out, oh, what am I going to, I've got to force this. See, Jesus was confident that God was going to provide. And here's what we want to see. At the end of these 40 days, after Jesus was tempted, some angels came and ministered to him. Now, the scriptures don't say what they, how they ministered. I would imagine they brought food and water, maybe a massage. I don't know, okay? I don't know. It doesn't say what it is, and I praise God that it doesn't. I can guarantee you it was exactly what Jesus needed. See, it doesn't say because God was providing for Jesus. God was providing the, 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 the ministry. The ministering through his angels. And we need to get a vision for our lives that we don't need to provide. You say, well, I got to go to work and provide for my family. You understand what I'm saying? We don't have to struggle. We don't have to say, well, if I, what happens if this and what happens if that? When God provides, he provides exactly what you need. If we force it with a relationship, because we say, I just need companionship and we force the relationship, it might not be what we need. God will provide. Here's a verse you guys have never, it's a very obscure verse. You've probably never seen it before. And so as your shepherd, this is what you pay me to do is to find obscure verses. It's Matthew 6, 31. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? This is found in the book of Matthew. I, I, I just stumbled upon it. Uh, or what we will wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now listen. Think about Jesus saying these words as he's remembering his time in the desert. Jesus could say this with full authority because he could say, you know what? I'm telling you, I was there for 40 days. I want you to understand 40 days in the desert because we kind of let that roll off our lips a lot. It would be like if I grabbed you and said, hey, I'm taking you out to Death Valley and uh, I'm going to drop you off and I'll pick you up October 26th. That's 40 days from today. 
that, that's 40 days. And so Jesus has a really good understanding of going without food, of going, being in the desert, alone, vulnerable, all this stuff. So when he says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom like I did and his righteousness, he'll take care of all that stuff. The angels came and ministered to him. He also says this in John, uh, after he talks with the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, they said, hey, Rabbi, eat some food. And Jesus says, I've got food you don't even know about. And they're going, who brought him food? I don't know. Do you, I don't know. You know? <laughs> I don't know if it sounded like that, but right? I have food that you, that you know nothing about. Well, what, what was Jesus' food? Now, I want you to understand this concept. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was so focused on the kingdom that it took the place of eating for him. We, I, I've mentioned this many times in the scripture. Just before he feeds the 5,000, they go off, they go off to, be, to be quiet for, they said, they didn't even have time to eat. This is why we fast. We fast as an exercise of going, I'm going to focus on your kingdom and those hunger pains, those things are going to be a reminder that your kingdom comes first. I'm going to put that stuff aside and I am terrible at fasting. I will admit to you now. I will try to get better. Okay, I need to come up with a plan, okay? I'll try to get better. It's hard for me. To, to seek first his kingdom while my stomach's growling. That's where he wants us to be convinced that God w- would provide. Thir- uh, thirdly, accept God's time frame. Don't rush it. Now look, the enemy tempted Jesus. Hey, jump off this temple. It was 450 feet tall, right? Now you can imagine this actually isn't a bad idea. If you're the king and you're coming in to usher in your temple... I mean, your, your, your kingdom, what would be better than to stand up 450 feet, do like a Greg Luganus off the top, and, and like stick the landing right in front of everybody? Okay, that would, that's a great idea. That would usher in the kingdom. But it wasn't God's timing. It wasn't God's timing. Now, I want us to see something here. Jesus knows this. When he feeds the 5,000, he, he leaves from there and they follow him. And he goes, he essentially says, oh, you guys are here because you want some more bread. No, no. Why don't you show us a sign like whipping up something like some bread or something, right? Jesus knows that the, the sign isn't what's going to keep people around. It has to be according to God's time frame. And listen, church, we're all in areas right now in our lives where we want God's time frame to be different. Things aren't working out the way we want. And we will be tempted to force it. That's what Jesus was tempted to do from the temple. Force the kingdom. Force God's hand. See, Jesus says, his response to that is, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus wasn't saying, don't put me to the test. He could have said that from the very beginning, right? Satan comes up, hey, Jesus, don't put me to the test. Be gone. He could have said that. No, don't. Do some, don't make me do something that's going to force God's hand outside his time. That's what Jesus is saying. And sometimes we get tempted in our lives. Maybe the money isn't there. And so we're tempted. We put God to the test. I, I know you're going to provide for me, but I got to do this one little thing. Or we have this need for companionship. That isn't being provided by our spouse. So I just, just the outside I'm not, not an affair, just something that gets that need met. Outside of God's timing of letting the marriage heal or letting something grow. or You see what I'm saying? Maybe we didn't put the work in for our schooling and the test is there and we're going and genius George is right next there and he's just like puts big answers and it's like, ah. <laughs> Instead of, getting through that process of failing and going, man, Lord, I need to work harder. And God going, yeah, I know. Except God's time frame. Listen to what Proverbs 10, 22 says is beautiful. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. See, when God ushers in his kingdom, when God does his thing, 
It works out great. If you look at Luke 4, this is talking about right after Jesus goes through this temptation. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Opportune for who? (laughs) Satan, right? So Satan leaves Jesus for a more opportune time for him. I want us to understand that because when you think you've defeated Satan, he's going to come back again. It says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But that doesn't mean he's never going to come back. And he's going to come back at a more opportune time for him. When you're not ready. So it says, Jesus returned to Galilee. Now listen to what happened because Jesus did it God's way. This is what happened. In the, it, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Now, we know that Jesus' ministry was a ministry of suffering, okay? So we know that this isn't the end all. He goes on, everyone abandons him and whatever. But we, we see here that there's, an, there's a direct result to handling the temptation and being filled with the Spirit. A radical commitment to holiness and being filled with the Spirit. So again, we come back to one of Pastor John's crazy circles. Be led by the Spirit, right? Well, how do I know I'm going to be led by the Spirit? Well, the Word of God tells you what that fruit's going to look like. And if we obey, we have more of the Spirit. And then the cycle starts all over again. We're led by the Spirit by obedience, by a radical commitment to holiness. I want to end with this. I want us to leave this week overly competitive. I want you to be crazy about winning this week. Cheat (laughs) in your struggle against temptation. Do whatever it can. Fight unfair with Satan. Bite him. Poke him in the eye, right? No, it's like ultimate fighting with Satan this week. Get overly competitive. Here's what I want us to see. In Hebrews chapter 12, I've mentioned this verse a whole bunch of times. It says, um, uh, we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So that what we do is we throw off every encumbrance. We lay anything that would get in our way and the sin which so easily entangles us. And we run with endurance the race set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. How he did it. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? Then it goes on. And this is how radical the Bible says we need to be. This is how overly competitive it says we need to be. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. (laughs) You got to be kidding me. Now, I'm not talking about cutting or lashing yourself or whatever. It's that whatever it takes to be holy, do that. Whatever it takes. And you've forgotten the word of encouragement. It's like, wait, you just said shedding blood. Now you're talking about encouragement. The word of encouragement that addresses you as as sons. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? We've all met those kids that aren't disciplined. And they are an absolute uh, horror (laughs) to their parents. They're an embarrassment. Here's what I'd like us to do as the worship band returns. We're going to enter into a slower time of worship right now. And what I want us to do, uh, we we open the altar every week. And so I want to open that up uh, this morning to us as well. Maybe you want to come to God with this thing that's been on your back for years and years and years. And you want to just say, ugh, I got to get rid of it. Or you want to come with a plan and say, Lord, this is what I I need a plan. I need something to kind of help me through this. Or maybe you want to come and praise him because you've done exactly this. There's been an area of life that you've had victory and you want to remember it. You want to remember that time in the desert when the Lord provided for you. So the altar is open for you to come. Uh, and pray. 
We also uh, are, are going to have a, uh, somebody praying at the cross. If you have a specific need or something that's really on your heart that uh, you need special prayer for, uh, I would ask that you go and have them pray for you there. But let me pray for us now, and then we'll enter into that time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you were the ultimate example of uh, uh, a conquering king, a king that, uh, that uh, conquered Satan, Lord, uh, not only through your death, but through your life. And so, Father God, as we enter into this time, we just want to draw near to you and hear your voice and um, uh, figure out for us what our plan of attack is. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in love.